Welcome to the Soul Sessions Podcast. Deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction, codependency, emotional eating, weight concerns, and the trance of unworthiness. Tune in weekly to befriend, nourish, and heal body, feelings, mind, and soul. And now, your host, soul-centered psychotherapist, trauma expert, and mind-body eating coach, Jody Gale. Welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jody Gale podcast. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which my office is based and across which we virtually meet and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Lara Owen. Lara is a writer and researcher whose interests circulate around the everyday and our potential for living more intelligently, compassionately and sustainably. She has written on spirituality and on women's well-being and is best known for her groundbreaking book on menstruation, Her Blood is Gold, which was first published in 1993 and has been updated twice, most recently in 2008. The book investigates the impact that cultural constructions of the menstrual cycle have on women, society and the environment, how women are traumatised and minimised through mental stigma and what happens when normative behaviours change. Lara holds a PhD from Monash Business School on innovations in the organisation of menstruation. Hi, Lara. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jodie. Good to be here. Could you share with our audience today just a little bit about yourself and what it was that led to the writing of your book, Her Blood is Gold, Awakening to the Wisdom of Menstruation? So the full story is in the book itself, but the brief version is that I first realized that there was more going on with menstruation than I had been taught about when I came off the pill when I was 22. So I'd been on it for about four years and I was getting increasingly anxious and depressed and I decided to come off it and see if that made any difference. And within two weeks, I felt much better. Mm. And indeed, my thought at the time was, I feel like myself again. Wow. And I thought, oh, wow, that's an interesting thing to think. What does feeling like myself mean? So that sort of sent me down a rabbit hole, really, of exploring what it was about living a you know natural menstrual cycle rather than being on the pill and having my ovulation suppressed why that made me feel so much more whole as a person and able to cope with life so I had a lot of questions about this and I mm. couldn't get many answers to it because this was in the late 80s 1980s yeah, okay. and there was really very little about menstruation. There had been a bit of stuff in the 60s in the um, women's health movement coming out of the US, you know, our bodies, mm -hmm. ourselves and oh, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. There have been a few people writing little bits about menstruation and about the relationship with the moon. And so there was a sort of neo-pagan kind of spiritual attention being paid to menstruation. But there wasn't very much yet about the cultural context that I was actually living in. Mm. So I started investigating it and then I was, I just started studying Buddhism and then with a Native American teacher. And the more I was engaged with other viewpoints, I was also studying Chinese medicine at this time. I realized how much menstruation was experienced in a cultural context and that societies actually shape women's menstrual experience. Mm. 
yeah. and that the culture I was growing up in was one which minimized menstrual experience and basically said, your menstrual cycle doesn't matter, just go on the pill. Mm. And the pill will solve everything. You know, any menstrual symptoms you've got, it's the best contraception and it doesn't matter that you're not having a menstrual cycle and you're not ovulating. Yes, I notice a lot when people in therapy often complain of having um, pain that they're told to just to go on the pill and that will help regulate it. Yeah, which it doesn't, of course, at all. All it does okay. is stops you ovulating. Yes, okay. Um, so it actually stops the menstrual cycle. And the bleed that you have is withdrawal bleeding when you come off the pill for uh-huh. seven days. Your body goes into withdrawal from the exogenous hormones that you've been taking so you get this mini bleed. So that's why for most mm. women, you bleed a lot less yeah. and it's not a proper period. And of course, now we're beginning to learn, research is finally beginning to happen around what actually it does to you to not ovulate, especially as a developing young woman. So obviously we're um, getting off, way off track already. But yes, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. What, what does that research say? I mean, this is really important because I didn't know that. And I'm sure our listeners probably aren't aware of that either. So... Well, a healthy menstrual cycle has a cascade effect on the health of the body. Mm. So actually having different levels of hormones throughout the month has a function in terms of digestive health, Mm. um, the development of strong bones, mental health, development of a healthy brain. The work I'd refer people to for that is Lara Bryden's work, Mm B-R-I-D-E-N. She's written a great book called The Period Repair Manual, and she has a really good website and newsletter so she tracks all of this research she's a naturopath and lives in New Zealand so she's worth following so rather than go into all of that here mm-hmm. um, yes. I suggest oh. looking at her work and then in terms of my story the influences of those different cultural contexts that I was studying helped me to see that if I changed my behavior just a little bit that my period became different it changed so mm. First of all, I came off the pill. So I started to actually have a menstrual cycle and and I started to feel better mentally. And then I started following the Chinese wisdom around menstruation, which is that it's a natural time to rest. Mm -hmm. And I started taking a bit of time out when I could. It was difficult because our working lives aren't structured to enable that. But I would at least not go out at night if I had my period. You know, I adjusted my behavior a bit. And I found that my menstrual symptoms started to get a bit better. Wow. But I still had a lot of cramps and I was still sort of troubled by feeling like I didn't really understand the cycle. And then I was studying in my sort of mid to later 20s with a Native American teacher. And he said, you know, you really should be on spiritual retreat when you have your period. That's what's supposed to be happening. Mm -hmm. And that's what those women were doing in the menstrual huts. They weren't actually there because they were being shunned. They were there because it was their time to hang Mm -hmm. out Mm -hmm. with other women and with themselves and to not do domestic jobs and not be responsible for children. Yeah. Um, But to actually just be having a time out. He said, because women work so hard, they need that. And he said, a woman when she's menstruating is actually the most spiritually powerful that anybody is anytime. So that was a sort of radical rethink for me about what menstruation was about. So I started doing that. I started basically going on retreat when I had my period. 
And were you training to be a therapist at the time or were you already a therapist? I was an acupuncturist and uh-huh, as an acupuncturist, okay. I was increasingly basically functioning as a therapist. Yeah, <laughs> and okay. then I realized that that was actually what was happening. So I studied therapy. I studied to be, be a therapist. So okay. this was all happening sort of contiguously. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I was, yeah, I was working with people and the patients I had as an acupuncturist um, who had menstrual symptoms and I started specializing in women's reproductive health because it's such a especially then but it's still an under-researched neglected area and women are largely supposed to just grin and bear it. I was thinking this morning a memory came up I hadn't thought of for a while and it's actually I think relevant for this. I had a miscarriage in my mid-20s and Mm. I was in hospital and there were complications and I was crying at one point because it was all just overwhelming. A nurse literally said to me, there's no point crying over spilled milk. She literally said that. I mean, now I just think, God, I know she was trying her best, Mm. but it was actually really the message was just shut up. You know, this is what happens to women and we haven't got time for you to indulge your feelings around it. So I think women are really traumatized, lifelong traumatized by these experiences where we go through these, you know, major life events. And IVF, having IVF is definitely one of them. And we're just supposed to cope at the same time as our hormones going all over the place. And and it's not even really talked about even in terms of um, coping. It's just getting on with it. That's right. That's (laughs) right. Absolutely. um, When I was researching for this conversation, I came across an article that you wrote, The Sabbath of Women, and it was about your first period you've written it felt to me internally that something truly amazing and magical was happening and yet everyone around me treated it as a as a commonplace I needed a ceremony a party some joyful public recognition of this huge event in my development but nothing happened as the months went by I felt more and more shame and embarrassment and less unless the excitement and the pride that had glimmered for a moment with the first blood. And then you go on to say that I used to think that my periods were a nuisance, a messy intrusion that increased laundry and caused a host of unpleasant symptoms, including exhaustion and debilitating pain. Menstruation interfered with my sex life, my athletic activities and with my energy level. It caused erratic mood swings, irritability and destructive, unstoppable bitchiness. It cost money in pads and tampons to mop up the blood. It ruined clothes. It took time away from work. It was a mean and sneaky saboteur that would always come at the most inconvenient time. (laughs) Wow. So how might things have been different for you, and I guess for, for all women, not just you, if your relationship with the menstrual cycle had been received and you'd got the recognition that you were so longing for? This is a really interesting question because I actually grew up with a fairly enlightened mother Mm, who had told me everything that was going to happen. It was fairly matter of fact and, as you say, medicalised. But but she was always kind about my periods and it was always... um, you know, and she and she also would encourage me to rest if I had cramps. Okay. There was no harshness around it. But I was living in a culture which silenced it mm, and okay. stigmatized it. So in my research more recently, I did some research in a Steiner school, for example, where oh, yeah. um, the girls had had a ceremony mm-hmm. or a, they'd had a celebration day or something about their periods uh, when they were around 11, age 11. 
And I met them when they were 15 or 16. Mm. And I asked them the, the impact it had had. And they all said, oh, nothing really. It didn't teach us any practical stuff that we needed. Mm, and I okay. thought, well, that's really interesting because they're in a Steiner school. Yeah. Right. And so you would think that they would have some, you know, they would have been somewhat protected from the surrounding culture. But actually, they were still struggling with the sense that their periods should be minimized and were shameful and difficult and problematic and only really to be met with a practical solution. So even if parents are doing it sort of right in inverted commas, the the culture is so strong with this stuff that it's still having a, a really negative impact. I think so. It's not to say that parents shouldn't do that. Of course, the, sure. the home environment can offset that. And mm. I know it did for me. I mean, that's how come I was able to write about it and research mm. it because I'd had the kind of mother that I had. So you can work your way through that social conditioning. But the reason I really went from working with individuals and doing workshops and that kind of thing to doing research and, and writing more about the collective and addressing mm. collective issues was because I feel that that's where the change has to happen yep. in order for women to really be supported. And we can do all the individual work that we like, but unless we're doing something that reaches beyond that, either through, you know, the kind of work you do with the podcast or, Mm -hmm. you know, writing and research, then everything stays within a a little bubble. And girls are very, very vulnerable, as all young people are, to peer pressure and to the messages from the the culture outside the family. And we have a survival need to belong to that mainstream. Oh, absolutely. So we're going to adjust our behavior so that we're acceptable. And this fits in with the culture. So if we look at what women are actually taught about menstruation, you've written that it's purely physical and scientific. So for example, you write that we are told that we have a period because we aren't pregnant. The menstrual Mm. flow was simply the discarded lining of the womb provided for a possible fetus. And so can you please share with us what gets missed when the womb and menstruation are seen merely as an uncomfortable biological necessity? Yes, I, you know, there, there's so much, I think. I mean, that initial feeling I had of feeling like myself if I had a, a natural menstrual cycle. Mm. The ebb and flow of hormones in a woman of reproductive age, so a woman between the ages of, say, 12 and 50, mm-hmm. That reproductive cycle has a big impact on our emotional life. Mm. And I also think on our spiritual life, but I see those as very related. It's hard, you know, we use these terms to separate things out and they're really false constructs when we do that. But anyway, it's the best we can do. We have to work with the language that we have. So there's an emotional element and a spiritual element. And I think an element of gaining wisdom And what I found when I started to go on retreat every month, which is what I ended up doing in my early 30s, I I was in a position where I could do this for a few years. So I would go away for five days every month and go on retreat and observe myself while I had my period. And I discovered, you know, various things through doing that. And one of them was that if I really let myself go into what my body and psyche were doing if I didn't insist that I did something else instead Mm. by the end of my period there would be this window where I had a kind of clairvoyance 
And it sounds so strange to say this, but I would receive information about the coming month. So it felt to me as if the first couple of days or the premenstrual time and then the first couple of days of bleeding were about processing the previous month Mm -hmm. and getting myself sort of up to date with what had happened and clearing up any loose ends and acknowledging difficulties that had happened, looking at ways to resolve them, just really coming up to date with myself and being very present. Mm. Then there would be a kind of empty phase where it seemed like nothing was going on, but I learned not to mess with that and just to sit in it. And then I would get images or ideas or thoughts and a knowing about what the next month was for. Wow. and what I would be doing in it and this was such a different way of living <laughs> it was I mean, so even as you're talking so radical can, yeah it is and I can feel myself thinking oh my gosh I wonder what that would be like you know just in terms of how busy we all are and yes find, making yes. space for that yes I know it's wild the way we live these days it really is I mean we load ourselves up with so much mm. to process and we are always running behind and yeah so I found that this was really accurate as well. Sometimes I would see somebody would appear sort of in my mind's eye as I was sitting on that last day or two of mm. bleeding. And, and sure enough, a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call from someone saying, I'm going to be in town, you know, mm-hmm. can I see you? <laughs> and I also became very clear about what my work was. Mm. And it's during this time that I started writing First of all, I wrote The Sabbath of Women that emerged out of those experiences. And then I started writing the book, Her Blood is Gold, which was Mm. published a couple of years after The Sabbath of Women. And also the ways that those got published was quite extraordinary when I look back on it, because I would get the information at the end of my period about who I should contact. And and they were published really quite seamlessly, which Mm. is incredible because I hadn't published anything before. And I got the book on menstruation published with HarperCollins, wow. you know, without any stress, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just sort of unheard of. It, it is, so, isn't it? Yeah. And it was not easy to get a book published on menstruation at that time. It's not like it is now where it's become something that people do speak about. You know, in those days, it was still really pretty unmentionable. Mm-hmm. So that was my experience. Of course, it was quite difficult to live in that way. And after I had a few years where I was able to, Mm. but then I had to go back to work and start living in a more mainstream way. And uh, and I couldn't always take five days out from my period. But the skills I had learned during that phase stayed with me. And then I went through menopause. Mm. And that was quite difficult for me because I was so dependent in a way on getting my information through paying attention to my menstrual cycle. So I was a bit lost for a while. But then I discovered that actually it still happens, but it happens in a different way. And it's more constant rather Mm. than there being this major juncture in the month. Yeah. Okay. And the the words that were coming to mind, I don't know if there's a book, is there a book called The Wisdom of Menopause or something? Yes. Remind me of that as you were talking. What it sounds like too, is that you were really able to, you know, that, uh, I remember in my psychotherapy training going to summer school every year. So we took that time out every year to go and just be for the week. And Mm. it sounds like such a creative, like there was a lot of space for creativity there and to really tap into that. And then obviously your book coming out of that. Yes. I mean, I think it's something that people have always done in order to create, you know, it's a, it's not an unusual part of a, 
a creative life to, to go on some kind of retreat, take time out and getting the balance between the stimulus from outside and really listening to what's happening in oneself is mm. quite tricky and a bit of a dance in terms of, you know, stability and figuring out how to manage that financially. You know, that's not easy. It's not an easy way to live, but it can be very fruitful. Just coming back to infertility, actually, and mm-hmm. just thinking about the birth of your book in a way. And for women in, I guess, in our sort of modern society, when there are problems with conceiving and for those who aren't able to eventually have a pregnancy, how there's not even any space to discover what else is there. Yes, that's right. We don't have enough models of that, really. I have a hope that society is becoming more creative, but there's also the shadow side of us being bombarded by opportunities to absorb other people's creativity. You know, there's so much good television now and so many amazing books and you can just sit and happily swim in other people's creative work all the time. And really, you do need to be a bit bored to create that's a great quote from Doris Lessing who said boredom was an ally of the writer uh, because then you have to start writing something to entertain yourself but I think that's interesting we're going off topic here but Mm. I think the interesting thing about COVID is that because of lockdowns it has given people more time at home and for many people actually lower stress levels in terms of cortisol secretion I mean we've got our worries and concerns but we're not that running on the hamster wheel so much people aren't commuting in the way that they were and you know I think the commute is a actually a really interesting phenomenon and it's changed dramatically oh absolutely and I've even noticed that more people are walking to school I mean I used to probably drive three or four days a week and Uh we now now walk because it was the only kind of outing that we had yeah so yeah that's interesting so another area I noticed that you write about a lot is around the cliched advertisements for pads and tampax and what kind of messages do these send to I guess particularly well it's to everyone really so young girls and women and men actually so well they're basically a vehicle for reproducing stigma it used to be that menstrual advertising was preoccupied with the color white which is you know ultimate gaslighting really telling women they should wear white when they're menstruating and this is a proof that the product works well because the subliminal message of that is that menstruation itself is unclean you can somehow Mm. ameliorate that by wearing white and looking super clean buy our products and that will help you do this and that's actually the antithesis of what women really feel like Mm. doing when they're menstruating which is you just want to wear old clothes and lie around at home and read a nice book and eat comforting food and instead you get this image starting in the 60s this image of athletic looking woman wearing white (laughs) in practical white in in various ways and riding a horse (laughs) Or, or riding a split, bicycle. Doing the splits or something. Exactly, which is the last <laughs> thing you'd want to be doing. So the, the cultural gaslighting, like you, how can you ever get anything right if that's what you're supposed mm. to be doing when you've got your period? And then now we've had this shift towards more overt advertising. So we've seen the new body form, I think it is, ads where the blood is not blue anymore. Um, it's now red, which is oh, a bit closer okay. to what really happens. <laughs> and and that ad actually has some really good aspects to it but there's some other ads where I think it's I won't say because I've forgotten which brand it is mm. where a woman is doing an assault course while she's got a period 
So it's gone from this sort of uber feminine white dress on a horse going through a cornfield kind of thing to now a woman doing an assault course as if that's an improvement, right? Because now she's more like a man and and it's doing, yeah. So that's still a way of reproducing menstrual stigma because in the background, there's still this idea that you've got to do something extreme. You can't just lie at home with a hot water bottle. Yeah. Um, you've got to be performing in some way that shows you to be a kind of superwoman. I've never actually thought of that. And when you say that, just, you know, lying at home with a hot water bottle, I mean, imagine an ad that was around soothing and comforting and, you know, it just doesn't happen, does it? No. And that's what's good about that Swedish ad, the body form ad that came out a couple of years ago, was it does actually show that image. I haven't Uh, seen that. And it does show a couple of women just lying together on a bed talking and one of them's reading to the other one. And it has got some softer imagery in it. And that's the one that shows the the blood is red. Mm -hmm. So there has been, there is some awareness of it in the industry and there is a bit of a shift, but we're still seeing these ads which purport to be different and showing a new kind of woman. But if you actually unpack it, Mm. it's still essentially the same message, which is that there's something wrong with you when you've got your period. And you've got to overcompensate one way or the other in order to manage it. That kind of really leads into my next question around how does all this leave women feeling, you know, especially at, if you think, I mean, my daughter's just turned 11 on Saturday and I know that a mm. couple of her friends have already started to menstruate. So mm. and, and obviously girls a little bit younger can get theirs as well. So how does this leave women feeling about their bodies and around their sense of self, I guess? Well, I think it leads to women feeling inadequate and feeling that they don't know their body because they're not really encouraged to get to know it. Medical science has under-researched menstruation Mm. um, and the the whole menstrual cycle. So there's not enough known about it still. And really this culminates in the experience of pregnancy, which women also go through in a system which really attempts to maintain their ignorance in many ways. So I did some research into a menstrual workplace policy. And one of the women there said that when she was at work and she would have her period, which was always heavy and painful, she would feel hopeless about herself, that she just couldn't hack it. And that there was, you know, she she felt feeble was the word that she used. Mm. And I said, so if you don't have to go into work that day and you stay at home, how do you feel then? Do you still feel feeble? And she said, well, no, not really, because then I can just go with it. So then I just get myself a hot water bottle and I lie down and the pain goes away then because Mm. my body is happy if Mm. it's doing that. So now I'll read a book or watch something on my iPad. So no, I don't feel feeble then. But if she had to get herself dressed up, get on the train, go to work, be at work, be performing for people, she just felt there was something wrong with her and Mm. that she couldn't do it. And I think that's what those ads and the general message we get say to us is if you can't wear white and ride a horse or you can't do an assault course and you can't go to work and act as if nothing's happening, then there's something wrong with you. So it's part of an overall social message that women have to perform way beyond what's expected of men, Mm -hmm. uh, excepting men who are in the armed forces or on the front lines or whatever. So we'll park those at one side and say, Mm -hmm. well, yes, these are people who are heroic and a lot of demand is demanded of them. But with women, it's like all women are expected to act as if nothing's happening when they've got, you know, menstrual cramps and other symptoms. And 
they really don't feel up to being at work. Now, this is really complicated for feminism. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of the reasons why menstruation hasn't been dealt with yeah. through feminism particularly well yet. Um, hopefully we're starting to get there. Well, because it but it's really complicating at the same time, doesn't well, it? Well, exactly. If feminism is all about equality, if that's mm. the lens you see feminism through, then menstruation is really inconvenient. As pregnancy done in any way that's not heroic. Even childcare. And if, you know, I know yes. when I, our kids are through foster to adopt. So in those early years, I was really determined to stay at home and when you start researching that and early childhood trauma and daycare and it all gets very messy once you start throwing feminism into the, yeah. <laughs> into the mix with all of that. Yeah, because our society is predicated on the male body, mm. on male experience. That's the key design. I mean, if you were going to design a workplace from a maternal and female perspective, you would have a crash in the same building. Yeah. You would have automatically have menstrual flexibility policies, maternal flexibility policies, menopause policies. You know, you would be looking after the female body in the workplace. You would have a room where women could go and lie down for half an hour if they needed it. Mm -hmm. I mean, in fact, these things also benefit men, but men can tolerate the androcentric workplace a lot better than women can. Mm. So it gives men an advantage in terms of their careers. You know, we know what the stats are now on older women and homelessness, for example, which is all because those women spent that time caring yeah. for people yeah. when men were adding to their superannuation. And society just isn't designed to look after women. And this is so fundamental. You know, patriarchy has been going on a long, long time. Yeah. And socioeconomically, it's so fascinating because our whole economy actually partly runs off the free labour of women. Absolutely. And you know what I'm thinking as well? I'm thinking I've gone through menopause now, but when I was menstruating, my periods were very, very painful. And mm. I used to have to medicate. I used to t take codeine mm. every month to get rid of the pain so you know the idea of even as you're talking about that thinking oh my god how things could have been a lot different yeah. you know rather than yeah. having to especially codeine because um these are powerful did, drugs they are and, and they have work. an impact on your body that's right what would have worked would have been if you could have stayed at home for a couple of days then that would have had a run-on impact to the next month because it would have given your cortisol levels a chance to normalize mm. you would have had you would have de-stressed yourself during that time and you would have actually been able to cope better the next month and what i found from taking time out every month with my period was that my cramps went away I stopped Gosh. having them and I'd had really serious cramps from the age of 13. But if I took time out, I just stopped having cramps. The next month I wouldn't have them. Wow. Now, if I forgot or, you know, rebelled or whatever and started running around and behaving like nothing was happening, then I would get cramps again the next month. So wow. I came to understand that my menstrual cycle was an inbuilt mechanism for balancing out and healing my system. And that if I didn't acknowledge it, then I was just setting myself up for increasing levels of ongoing difficulty. Amazing. And there's so, such interesting research coming out now. You know, have you uh, been reading about the decline in premature births during COVID? No. Oh, no, I oh, haven't seen that. You have to look at this. It's extraordinary. Levels of prematurity in countries that lock down absolutely plummeted. Wow. People are relaxed and slowed down yeah, and exactly they've been at home <gasps> wow and it seems like the fetus likes to be at home 
Well, I mean, and I, it doesn't I, like raised cortisol levels. You know, I mean, I've practiced from a attachment perspective. I mean, even when you say mm. that, it, it makes absolute sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Even just yeah. uh, being present to everything that's going on. Oh my goodness. You know, I think it's going to be incredible to see what does come out of this on the other side. I mean, we're already seeing so many changes, aren't we? So, yes. I think losing your menstrual cycle can affect your menstrual health and can actually therefore make the disordered eating worse and the underlying problems It's something I never really thought about until you started talking in your introduction piece there around how it affects our mental health because... Mm as you say, there's such little written about this stuff um, that it's not really something that I'd ever thought about before. So definitely mm. something worth looking into. And so one of the other things that I hear in therapy often is that women will say, oh, I, I was emotional because I had my period or I was angry because I had PMS or I was only feeling like that because I had my period. So what's going on when we do this? Do our periods make us more emotional Yeah. So what I understand about that is that it's not that our periods make us more emotional per se, but they, they take away the lid on our emotions. So if we've been performing a certain way in order to make our life work, like say Mm. there's a real problem in our relationship and we're scared to bring it up or we don't know how to bring it up or we're worried that it'll bring about the end of the relationship or whatever, if we talk about what's true for us, then we're less able to disguise our feelings premenstrually and often during menstruation. So if we start looking at the menstrual cycle in that way, then the emotions that come up are actually a real key into what's really true for us. And in that way, they are our friend. And if we can start to work with those emotions, then we get closer to understanding ourselves and figuring out what it is we need to do and to say and that does take a lot of courage and I think that because of centuries of menstrual stigma everything to do with menstruation and living it more holistically and sustainably demands courage because we're going against a core tenet of the patriarchy which is that we should be ashamed of menstruating and we should hide it So to be able to turn that around and say, I'm having this strong feeling and I'm going to respect it and pay attention to it and try and find a way to articulate it. That's really what we should be doing premenstrually when we're bleeding. And as you say, that it's kind of another way to minimise our feelings, isn't it? Because people who are doing this are probably quite likely doing that in other areas with their feelings also. This kind of leads me into how to heal from this wound and you know, you've written in other cultures, rather than being ignored, menstruation has been in some cases still is seen as that time that is special and sacred for women. And you talk about ritual and spiritual power and wisdom. Would you say a little bit more about that for me? Yeah, we're talking about this in a context of a society which is overwhelmingly material Mm. rather than spiritual. And we're really trained to think that the material realm is much more important and I don't really see the material and spiritual as being separated but perhaps a better way to talk about this is to say that we used to have and we still do have some religions but we're not nearly as religious in the way that we live our lives as you know most of us as we used to be and there's an awful lot wrong with religions and most of them are very patriarchal Mm. but they did give us some kind of a moral compass And they did also give us rituals that were regularly repeated and that I think had an important function psychologically. 
And what we can do with the menstrual cycle in a way is it can also give us a rhythm that connects us into the natural world, which is really where I think spirituality is at its best, when it helps us to become better stewards of the natural world and to understand that everything is related to everything, Mm -hmm. you know, and that you can't abuse one part of the planet and not have it affect somewhere else and the same in our own lives. It's like people who are vegans, but, you know, will still use weed killer on their garden. You know, this does not fit together. (laughs) And but we don't really necessarily understand that. And our culture doesn't really help us to. Mm. So I think honoring the menstrual cycle is a really, you know, sort of inbuilt way that's free, completely free. (laughs) And you don't really need even to be taught how to do it. And you don't have to belong to a religion. Um, But it's an inbuilt way to create your own natural rhythm and your sense of your connection to the natural world. Because this is a a key cycle that is tied into the lunar cycle. Mm. Your period will be different at different times of the year. It's also tied into the solar cycle of the seasons. Your period in some ways echoes those cycles, but within your own body. And it gives you a natural time to experience, you know, being more outgoing when you're ovulating and being more inward when you're menstruating and to allow that ebb and flow of energy and perspective and focus to happen. And it gives you a context to understand it in. So it helps you really to structure your life in a way that honors your embodiment and allows you to experience your world perhaps a bit more holistically so your mind and your body and your spiritual sense and your ethics and your creativity can all come into play through the experience of the menstrual cycle so how in modern day life i mean obviously we have slowed down a little bit because of coronavirus but if women are wanting to heal their relationship with their cycle and their bodies What might that look like? I mean, obviously, most people can't take five days out to go and um, on retreat. So I guess what advice do you give to women? The first thing to do, and of course, many people are beginning to do this now through apps, but that's got uh, plus and minus aspects to it. But the Mm -hmm. first thing to do is to start to track your cycle. And I actually would suggest doing that with a piece of paper and a pen rather than with an app because the app will try and make you fit into a mold that someone else created and (laughs) yeah exactly and what you really need to do is find out what your periods are like the interesting things about menstruation and it's the same with for example giving birth is that it's you don't necessarily remember it afterwards so I see a lot of women who will have profound experiences while they're bleeding but they forget it the rest of the month And then they'll have it again happen when they're bleeding. It's sort of like an altered state that we don't integrate. And so if you can write down every day, develop a practice of writing down, okay, so the first day of your period is day one. And then just write down how you're feeling, what you're eating, what you want to be doing, what you have to do, how you feel about the tension between the two, whether you're feeling emotional about anything, what the message of that is. Just write down whether you've had dreams, And it doesn't have to be really long, but at least make some kind of note that is related to your cycle. Mm. So day one and then day two and go through the whole month and do that for usually it will take you at least three months to get a sense. But if you can make it a practice long term, then that's really, really great. Certainly after six months, you will have a really good idea about 
what impacts on your period and what comes up for you yeah. during your menstrual cycle that you can adjust to. I mean, I think I had particularly powerful periods for some reason. Mm-hmm. You know, I have no idea how many, at what percentage of women have periods that really demand that much attention. I mean, we know at least 10% of women have endometriosis. Mm. We know that 71% of women between the ages of 18 and 25 have menstrual cramps, have menstrual pain. Yeah. So it's quite a lot of women who experience something that's going on. There, there do seem to be some women who don't really notice very much difference when they have their period, but that's a minority. I'm yet to meet one. <laughs> yes. And usually if you probe a bit, it turns out there's more going on than they're acknowledging anyway. Sure. So if, but you have to learn about your own menstrual cycle because there is definitely a really strong personalized element to this. There's not a one size fits all period. We know that there's a range of that's still considered normal in terms of the length of the cycle. Hmm. So if you always have a 32 day cycle, or something like that, that's going to be different to someone who's got a 24, 25 day cycle. And also over the age of 30, 35, certainly by 40, the cycle starts to reduce by, you know, around a day, a month after the age of 42, because you're, you're moving towards menopause. And there's a period where you actually have a shorter cycle before it then starts to extend out. So it's not unusual, for example, for a woman in her mid 40s to have a 24 day cycle. I mean, that's another example of that's now known through research. When that happened to me, I was told that there was something wrong with me. Oh, really? You know, so Gosh. also be careful when someone says there's something pathological about something that's happened to you menstrually. Mm-hmm. I mean, there may well be, but it may also be that this is an aspect that's not yet understood. So get yourself to somebody who really understands the latest research. So, yeah, so keep track. And then the other thing, I think, is as much as you can try and catch yourself if you're having a negative thought about your period. If you find yourself thinking, oh no, it's my period. Just try and look at that and work your way around it and think, no, 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 no. it's not a bad thing to be having my period. It's part Mm. of my health. It means that I'm healthy and health is really, really precious. Mm. And having a period is actually just a completely natural and perfect and beautiful part of being a woman of reproductive age. There is far from there being nothing wrong with it. There is everything right with it. So try and just talk to yourself a bit around those thoughts that we are trained to have, but which do not serve us. Do you know, as I'm talking to you, I'm wishing I did this interview 20 years ago. Yeah. Because this is all just so alien to, you know, especially when you've had painful periods and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So so many topics we could talk for hours <laughs> even as you start to talk about endometriosis I think, oh there's a whole episode there um yeah so I think what we might do is we might round things up but I would love for women listening today to be able to look at your resources so where will they find you so my website is laraowen.com l-a-r-a-o-w-e-n.com and my book her blood is gold is readily available in Australia and Mm -hmm. everywhere else. And then I have some articles that are out. If you Google my name, you'll come across then. I have one in the conversation about menstrual products, menstrual product advertising about a year and a half ago. 
And uh, yeah, my website always has an update of news of things that I'm doing on the front page. So stay in touch with that. And I am going to start doing more uh, online now in the current climate. So oh, fantastic. And yes, because when I was researching for this interview, I saw your research also on the workplace stuff. So I think that would be really interesting for, for women as well. So yes. Okay. So thank you so much for coming today. And I will make sure that I link to everything you've mentioned in the show notes and your website. And so thank you for coming. Thank you very much. It's been great talking to you, JD. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, me too. This is episode 15. I will link to everything we have talked about today in the show notes at thesoulcenter.online forward slash soul sessions 15 with Lara Owen. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Soul Sessions podcast. Love this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. To learn more about how you can befriend your body, feelings, mind and soul, get Jody's free 65-page ebook at thesoulcenter.online. Until next time.